The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. On W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Good morning, Australia, and good evening, America. You're listening to Radio Tony and your host, Tony Lontis. And a big shout-out to everyone listening today. Just remember that you can find all about who's upcoming on Radio Tony by going to radiotony.com, and you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. If there's questions from the previous show, I will try my best to answer them in the following show, but they'll also appear on the website, so radiotony.com, and any questions that I haven't answered on the show. We'll put them up there for you as well. So that's RadioTony.com. Now, before I introduce our amazing guest today, who I'm incredibly privileged to have a chat with, firstly, I'm going to go back to Britley's interview from last week, the wonderful girl with $115 million in sales and her talk on her fight with melanoma. And one of the questions you asked was, do you think people can make it if they don't have formal training in things and Brittany's response was yes it's all about your attitude towards success success and making it will have a different meaning for each person it's about defining your ideas of success and then taking action towards achieving it if you have a product or a service to offer that will enhance your customers lives go out there and share your message. Of course, any training or personal development that you can do to upskill and improve your chances uh, will improve your chances of success. And the other one was talk about a one-two punch. And this was when Brittany was talking about her battle with melanoma um, and The question was, sorry to hear that that happened to you. Brittany's response was, thank you. I appreciate your thoughts. I look back at those times and reflect how I was transformed as a person. It makes you step back and recognize what's important to you and what direction you want your life to take. In many ways, I'm grateful for this series of events. I've come out the other side and I'm focusing on my new journey towards personal and professional success. The next question was, what brought you to to write a book. 
And Brittany says, I set 20 goals for 2020 and write a book was number one on that list. Each day, I speak to business owners who struggle with sales and their mindset around selling. I'm one of those people who wasn't a natural born salesperson. I taught myself a process that was easy to understand and the results followed. I wrote this book to share with people these simple steps so that others can learn from my journey and improve their sales. Second last question was, can people learn from you? Absolutely, you can learn from Brittany. Yes, I certainly welcome the opportunity to connect with business leaders and sales professionals who want to learn more about simple sales skills. I recommend that you join my new Facebook group. It's called Sales Skills for Business Leaders. I hang out there every day and offer training advice and tips about sales and time management. You can also get a copy of her new book from tiktoksales.com.au forward slash book and finally how can we sell ourselves if we're not good at sales Brittany says first and foremost your sales success starts and finishes with you and your mindset around selling the biggest sale and the most important sale you'll ever make is to yourself once you can comfortably sell to yourself that you will be good you will be good at sales then you can unlock your potential and start selling to others let's reframe your thinking so that you recognize that you have a great product or service that your customers need and you can make a difference because of what you sell and the outcome you create. Be proud of that. If you think you're no good at sales, there are simple ways you can work on improving your skills. And again, the link to Brittany at, is at tiktoksales.com.au. A copy of all these questions and answers will also be on radiotony.com under our guest. And now, the favourite part of my show, I want to introduce you to an amazing young man. Elliot Connor is the founder and CEO of Human Nature Projects, an international environmental charity supporting volunteers across 104 countries. He's a TED speaker, author, podcast host and filmmaker with the goal of reframing our human relationship with nature. So he's saving people and the planet at the tender age of 17. And friends, I had to schedule this wonderful interview in between Elliot's school holidays, which are coming to an end, and I'm really grateful that we could fit it in today. Today, Elliot has been blessed with an abundance of life and near-death experiences, from giving flying lessons to owls and playing chicken with vultures to being stalked by a leopard in Botswana. But his learning simply is that we all must strive to be better animals. Human nature is his velocity and how we get there. Good morning, Elliot. Good morning. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. I'm really looking forward to joining the show today and it should be a really interesting conversation. I was uh, reading through all your information last night and the more I read about you, Elliot, the more I'm impressed. Now, I'm a middle-aged, imperfect radio host, but reading about what you've accomplished in your 17 short years, it's really impressive. So let's start by talking about your life and journey to this point. How did you get to be such an amazing 17-year-old? And I know you're nearly 18, but you're 17 right now. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, I think my journey has been uh, one uh, which has certainly accelerated over the past few years. So 
I was always born with that love for nature, born to a British family, which uh, certainly helped. It's yes. uh, much more part of the culture there. So the bird watching, the long walks in the countryside yes. and such. Uh, so, yeah, that's always been a passion for me. And I think that's uh, been the driving force behind yeah. le- leading me to where I am today. Uh, but it all took off for me when I did start this charity of mine, Human Nature Projects, yes. uh, just over 12 months ago now. Wow. So, yeah, it's been quite the transformational experience in opening up so many new opportunities, so many new doors. And it's not easy uh, being a miner, lots of bureaucracy, lots of red tape to get through. I remember when I first set up Human Nature Projects, it took many, many months uh, to actually get registered as a charity because it's not something they expect a 17-year-old to be doing. So it's certainly not set up for that. But it's all worked out and it's certainly changed my life. So were there challenges, or like did you have to rely on your parents to get some of that stuff done or were you able to eventually get it done yourself in your own right? I was able to get it done myself, yes. Uh, if you can set up like a board of trustees, then obviously yes. that helps. Yep. So having other people who aren't minors uh, on the board yes. allows it to become possible. Fantastic. What sparked your imagination to set up a charity at such a young age? Well, I had the idea in January of last year, so January 2019. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was volunteering at a hedgehog and raptor rehabilitation centre in southern France. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, wow. there I was in midwinter. It's quite the way to spend your summer holidays. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it as an experience. And mm-hmm. in some of the long winter nights I spent there, I was researching the operations of about 200 major environmental NGOs. Yes. So I'd been volunteering quite extensively in this environmental field uh, just locally. So I live in Sydney. Yes. for a few years before that and Mm -hmm. I found it really tough as a minor uh, to get into these circles. Uh, Typically uh, they wouldn't have the resources, wouldn't have the mechanisms in place to support volunteers in any capacity especially as a 15, 16 year old. Uh Uh, So yeah this was my way of working out what was going on in the space, how I could perhaps better integrate myself therein Mm -hmm. and what I found was that Almost without exception, uh, these charities, these environmental NGOs were really, really struggling to engage with volunteers to uh, reach outside of the echo chamber, I guess, uh, we're sometimes working in in this space and uh, to engage with the general public. So that was the thought process, I think, which led Mm -hmm. to Human Nature Projects, trying to find a solution to that, create more of a accessible community within conservation and all these solutions that followed. Because do you think, Elliot, that if we encourage the youth of the world to start to volunteer at an earlier age, that we improve the outcomes for nature and humanity across the world? Oh, definitely, definitely, without a doubt. I think it's been shown time and again in the current uh, situation that as people grow more disconnected to nature, as we build up these large uh, cities, these urban barriers Mm -hmm. to nature in many respects, then we're not having those same opportunities to connect with animals, to connect with nature. 
uh, in that way we might have previously. And that's a real inhibiting factor for yeah. obviously engaging people in these conservation dialogues. I talk about the double effect in my work, yes. Yes. Uh, which is a term I've coined, but it's after the late conservationist Gerald Dull, uh, who effectively founded the modern zoo, this concept of having zoos working for conservation, breeding mm -hmm. up animals in captivity, releasing them. Uh, mm -hmm. An amazing man, amazing conservationist, mm -hmm. <laughs> eccentric in many ways. Yes. Uh, but, and yeah, he is famous for introducing uh, conservation itself to the general public, uh, yeah. mostly through his writings. He was mm -hmm. a wonderful author. Uh, many listeners may have read his books. Uh, yes. But uh, this effect I use to describe how when youth especially, but uh, people of any description, have these opportunities to connect with other animals, to uh, build yes. relationships with them, to uh, recognize their personalities, mm -hmm. the uh, wonderful characters behind them all, uh, then uh, that's what predisposes people to uh, volunteering in environmentalism, yes. to take these steps themselves to make the world a better place, and yeah. especially in this field of conservation. So yeah. I think that's what we're working towards with human nature yes. projects. Yeah. Right? I've been very privileged to have such experiences yes. in my own life, uh, but yeah. if we can give everyone that chance, uh, then that's the ideal. Absolutely. So I'm an animal lover, and so for you and I, it's very easy to understand how animals impact your life. Um, we lost one of our little goats uh, last week, and it uh, for me we have two llamas and we had eight goats and little jasper was a pygmy angora goat cross but he was the most loving goat that uh we have had and we miss him dearly we miss his antics we miss the love that he shared with us and what a privilege to be able to share in an animal's life. And I'm not sure if people real realise the innate value in that relationship between you and an animal. So the night before he passed, I actually slept on the veranda with him in the cold and he snuggled up to me and he put his uh, head on my chest and that's where he slept most of the night because he had been in pain and we'd given him some emergency pain relief and then I wasn't going to let him alone because we knew in all likelihood that this perhaps would be his last night on earth. And I wasn't going to let him, he'd given us so much joy, I wasn't going to let him um, be at night time without one of us with him. So, and that, those sorts of experiences, they relate to all animals from little wee people and their bugs and beetles and worms to bigger people and their domestic animals and horses to those that love our endangered species, um, orangutans and um, gorillas and, and all, the, all the rest. I think, Elliot, that what you're doing is so important and I'd love to talk to you about some of the key elements that uh, have impacted on your life from an animal uh, perspective. What are some of those stories around the animals in your life? Yeah, well, <laughs> there's plenty to talk about there. Yes. And as I say, I've been very, very privileged uh, to uh, immerse myself in nature so often uh, with yeah. such incredible experiences. Uh, but I think the first one, which 
sealed my fate in many ways was when I was 10 years old in Botswana Mm -hmm. and my family was traveling around southern Africa a bit of an adventure Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we've taken the term off school so quite a lengthy trip well done mum and dad (laughs) (laughs) yes yeah yeah I know it was a wonderful a wonderful time of my life and Mm. yeah we were camping in this quite remote region uh, northern Botswana a completely unfenced campsite so out in the wilderness as much as possible it's national park uh, so all the animals could wander through uh-huh. and I was walking back from the campsite toilet of all things yes. with uh, some members of my family I was uh, lagging behind slightly so mm-hmm. I think I was at that age where uh, you're just starting to gain yes. your independence so mm-hmm. appreciating the lovely atmosphere the stars and daydreaming a lot sounds yep yeah yeah that's what I do <laughs> so yeah I was maybe three meters behind the rest and we just reached the edge of the fire circle, so the edge of our yes. campground. And I just had this sort of sixth sense. So I turned around and there, maybe two metres behind me, was a young leopard uh, crouched <gasps> low to the ground, uh, stalking me. Oh. So, yeah, that's one of the moments you're not going to forget. I so looked into- what did you do? <laughs> Well, I looked into its eyes for maybe a few seconds. Yes. Uh, I said something very understated, I think, like, I think there's something behind me. (laughs) So my (laughs) brother had a torch or a flashlight of some kind, and he turned around and shone it on this leopard. And, I mean, once a leopard's been seen, it's an ambush predator, so it won't then go on and attack in any way. Oh, thank goodness. Um, but yes, it turned around, slunk off, but then continued to circle the campsite for hours and hours afterwards. Oh, so. delightful. delightful. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's a special moment when you as a human look into the eyes of an animal and being that it was a predatory animal, a leopard, did you feel a connection? Did Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, 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 yeah very much so, I think. Yeah. When I relate this story, I'm often asked if I was afraid or if I thought I was going to die or equivalent. Yeah. Uh, but you don't feel that. You feel that no. time's slowing down. Yes. Uh, you feel you're processing everything very logically. Yes. Uh, you know you're not under any immediate danger. Uh, yes. There might be a slight thrill of it. There might be some adrenaline. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but nothing particularly frightening about the whole experience, yes. I found. It was more eye-opening for me, actually, uh, because clearly this leopard had been uh, fed by previous campers, most likely, Uh grown accustomed to associating humans with food. Yes. And as a result, it had grown into this problem for the campers. So uh, folks were feeling threatened. Uh, The incident was reported. And as a result, I would imagine the leopard was most likely relocated or uh, possibly shot. So there really is no mercy there's no leeway either side for animals and it's by no means that leopard's fault but that's the unfortunate reality of the world we live in and Mm -hmm. uh, the relationship we hold with the natural world Uh, so that has allowed me some of that insight and to step down on this uh, path of mine uh, which has led me to where I am today yeah yeah and was he a beautiful young leopard a leopard's a wonderful, wonderful creature. Yeah. They're still some of my favourite animals. Uh, yes. Very, very elegant, very beautiful, yes. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. So that's shaped 
from Tan, your love of nature and uh, our, the way that it interacts with humanity and set you on this amazing path. And one of the things that you've done also at a young age is that you had a TEDx talk. How did you end up with a TEDx talk at so young, such a young age? Yeah, well, actually, that came as a surprise as much to me as to anyone else. <laughs> I'm oh, very I much don't a born introvert. <laughs> I, I, I really don't enjoy public speaking. I certainly yeah. hadn't done it much before that date. It was yeah. something, I think, which is forced upon me as much as anything yeah. by uh, my stepping into these leadership roles, by my running human nature projects, having to communicate this vision I had, uh, the change we were making, the yes. uh, projects we were undertaking and such. So, yeah, I think that was a skill set I very much had to learn at that later stage. But, yeah, clearly the organisers of this conference had heard about some of the work I was doing. Yes. Uh, the theme of their conference actually was uh, a permanent beta, so about constant change, constant yes. growth yes. in this world and how we can continue to adapt to changing mm -hmm. circumstances. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I guess some of my pretty expertise... evident in this current world, isn't it? Our ability yeah, yeah, and yeah. need to adapt to changing circumstances, and some of us are doing that better than others, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is evidenced by what's actually happening in Australia at the moment. So I want to talk now about what is human nature. Sure. So. Human nature is many things. Yes. It's obviously this charity I run. It's yes. the book I've pre recently written, uh, soon to be published. It's the podcast I run. It's this term I use mostly for the philosophy I hold towards how we need to reconnect with the natural world, how we need yes. to interact with other animals. So yeah. uh, for me, it's this byword of uh, this new worldview I'd like to create. Yes. Uh, so uh, that would mean uh, talking about humans as animals yes. I've set out to redefine humanity on biological terms actually so uh, I like to think of humans as opportunistic ecosystem engineers yes. which means uh, we make the most of new habitats and new yes. chances to thrive in uh, wherever it might be so we spread across the world and we're ecosystem engineers in that we mm. are able to modify our environment to change yes. it to instead of adapting ourselves to adapt our environment to suit yes. our needs or whatever the circumstances might be. So both of these traits are found in other animals. Yes. Darwin famously said the difference between uh, hu humans and animals yes. is one of degree and not of kind. So meaning mm -hmm. that we share all of the same characteristics, all of the yes. same traits, but uh, simply to varying levels, which yes. defines who we are as humans. It's uh, very much that difference uh, between humans and animals if you indeed need to seek one. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. very much trying to dispel myths about human superiority, our, our yes. right to take over this planet, to make of it what yes. we will. And yeah. yeah, trying to rebuild society, uh, reframe sustainable development in such a way that it encompasses uh, the needs of animals and the needs of our environment, Absolutely. as we've been trying to do uh, these past 50 years with conservation. It's yeah. a very new concept, a very new movement, but if we can yeah. take it to that next level, that's what human yeah. nature is. Yeah, yeah. And that's also part of uh, what your vision for the future is, that we are much more conscious of 
our uh, the animals and nature that are around us, and that they should be considered um, equally in terms of what we do as humans. And so, um, I, I was reading about um, the conservation uh, four Cs. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, sure. So. Conservation's four C's was one of the very first ideas I came up with to try and yeah. express uh, this vision of mine. And uh, the idea is that conservation under the status quo is very much species centric. So to give you an example, we might have the WWF operating in India and they'll be trying yes. to save the tigers there. Uh, yes. They'll measure their success by the tiger populations, how that changes yes. over a decade, over two decades, uh, whatever data they may have at hand. Or yes. if they're planting trees, say, in uh, Pakistan, then they'll count the number of trees, trees. they'll, plant, they'll mm -hmm. count the area uh, which has been reforested. And what I believe uh, needs mm -hmm. to be uh, much better incorporated into measures is this human element. So yes. I think we need to be working with communities as much as uh, with these uh, ecosystems in yes. the conservation work we do. Uh, yeah. I think it's been shown time and time again in various uh, situations how important it is that the community goodwill is there uh, yeah. for whatever projects you're trying to uh, undertake in terms of uh, boosting uh, the success of species, boosting animal mm -hmm, numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, if you've got the local people on side, if they yes. support uh, what you're trying to do, if they want to be part of it indeed, then yeah. uh, they will definitely contribute and make that a success. I was recently talking to a tree kangaroo conservationist in... Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah, so <laughs> wonderful animals. Uh, yes. But he works in Papua New Guinea, Yes. Uh, with many of the local tribes there. Yes. And what mm -hmm. he does is a perfect example of this uh, because he saw that the highly endangered tree kangaroos they are. local uh, to these people uh, were mostly threatened by their traditional practice, their customs, yes. uh, but exacerbated by some of the pressures of uh, the advancements of life brought by mm -hmm. modern civilization. Mm -hmm. Uh, they want to sell off this meat, perhaps, instead of using it to sustain their yes. families. Uh, so then becoming unsustainable. Mm -hmm. And the solution is to uh, provide uh, the needs of the community. So give them fresh water, give them education, yes. uh, being able to get them on site and then push these mes messages that they need to conserve these tree kangaroos. So very much making an ally of all the people concerned representing the local yeah. stakeholders so they can very much be part of it. Elliot, do you think that the education of um, humanity is is one of the keys to changing the way we look after our uh, animal and our environment in general? Does education form a key part of what you do? Oh, definitely, yes. So I very much love sharing my passion for nature yeah. with others. I think yeah. that's where it all starts and uh, stops yes. in this dialogue. If we can uh, get the global community on side, uh, yes. then yes, that does change everything. I was recently doing some research, actually, mm -hmm. uh, surveying a thousand members of public, environmentalists, mm -hmm. uh, people from all sorts of backgrounds uh -huh. about what they thought of uh, the current situation with our global environment, yes. uh, how much they knew. Yes. And what was really fascinating for me is out of eight multiple choice questions, 
uh-huh. they did worse than random chance. So they would have Whoa. done better if they'd been guessing it. Or if I gave it to a group of chimpanzees, oh, uh, that's no. just that knowledge gap I think we're working with in this space. If we don't understand wow. as a human collective what's going on, uh, exactly where the successes are, where the failures, uh, the shortcomings might be, uh, then mm. we really can't operate in terms of saving those environments. So I think the education is uh, the most important uh, yeah. keystone to it all. So how do you think we're doing in Australia? I know whenever I read about another species that is on the brink of extinction, I'm just, I actually feel sick. So what are your thoughts about how we're managing this in Australia? Admittedly, Australia's not a great case. It's not, is it? That's why I bring it up. Any means. Yeah, well, it's very different actually to most other countries if not all other countries in mm-hmm. some of the history behind it so obviously yes. colonization mm-hmm. uh, when the first settlers arrived uh, there were actually targeted schemes to introduce uh, yep. european species to the continent uh, yep. as opposed to make settlers feel more at home if they had yeah. nightingales if they had blackbirds if they had yes. All of these different uh, Mm -hmm. creatures around them, yeah, foxes, Mm. uh, rabbits, uh, Mm -hmm. all such things, which are now major problems for the country. So uh, we do have that handicap with us. Uh, There's also a very different functioning of the ecosystems. So bushfires Mm. recently, uh, the land is meant to burn. Uh, Eucalypts are able to thrive uh, by those means, but our fire management practices have meant that they haven't been allowed to. So it's built Mm -hmm. up, built up Mm -hmm. until we get these terrible bushfires Mm -hmm. and the Aboriginal people, the traditional custodians of the land, uh, were able to manage this very, very successfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So whenever they do do these backburnings now, they consult uh, with the local peoples, uh, some of uh, these Aboriginal peoples, about yes. how they would do it, because they really are the experts, still better than all of this yeah. modern technology we might have. And uh, Australia so, has very yeah. unique um, animals, wildlife, fauna, and a lot of our grasses are meant to burn annually. That's that's yeah. in their genetic, that's what makes them thrive, et cetera, et cetera. So do you see that we will start to get back to that more Indigenous natural management of our um, environment? That's a really difficult question to answer, yeah. I think. Uh, in the short term, I don't see any such change happening, unfortunately. I, I think we're much too set in our current ways, our current practices, yeah. and Uh, The issue, of course, with all of this backburning is uh, you get complaints from the residents, from uh, people whose houses might be nearby who feel uh, threatened or who see the smoke on the horizon and such Mm -hmm. forth. Uh, People don't understand, I think, uh, the way these ecosystems function. It goes back to this knowledge gap, uh, the uh, disconnect. education, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Education. Yeah, yeah. Um, So... I want to know some of the other things that motivate you Um, for someone so young. um, Motivation, particularly in your teenage years, is often you don't think of teenagers and motivation. So I'm really curious as to know what motivates Elliot Connor to do the amazing work that you do. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think I'd have to distill it down to two parts. Uh-huh. Uh, the first being the animals themselves. Yes. Obviously, I love nature. I always have yes. done. And I'm an animal carer here in Sydney, so I get yeah. to rescue, to rehabilitate 
uh, all sorts of amazing uh, creatures, all sorts mm-hmm. of uh, very sick, injured creatures who have been yeah. reported by members of the public who need to come mm-hmm. into care, be it for uh, just a few days, a few weeks, a few months. Uh, so you really build up a connection with these animals and yes. uh, seeing them revive, uh, seeing them restored mm-hmm. and eventually released, hopefully, mm-hmm. back into mm-hmm. their natural habitat. Yeah, uh, There is very, very few things more rewarding, more inspiring. Oh, I that. agree, Elliot. There's something very special. Um, just we had wallabies, kookaburras, magpies uh, when I was a child and um, my favourite wallaby um, I bottle fed until he was ready to leave home and he gradually started to leave home uh, as he got older but he would still come back. So I wouldn't see him for, I don't know, a couple of months. And then he'd be outside my bedroom window saying hello. So there's, I agree, um, Elliot, there's something very special about caring for an animal and then releasing them into the wild, uh, particularly when they come back and say hi. And so what sort of animals are you caring for at the moment? Oh, at the moment, I think we've got a lorikeetin and tawny frogmouse, mm. which is sort of owl-like birds. Mm. Uh, yeah, both amazing creatures. They're they are. quite common, uh, both of them, but very, very charismatic. So uh, the frogmouse are actually my yes. favourite bird of all. Yeah. They are truly, truly wonderful uh, animals. They're really amazing little birds, and they're not. When you think of owls, uh, they're in, they're in the owl family, or are they not? I can't remember. But Closely anyway, related. Yes, they're they're kind of small, but gosh, they make up for that in personality, don't they? Yes, yeah, certainly. So I've had uh, probably half a dozen in care, and oh. quite hardy. Uh, they definitely. Yes. Yeah. want to survive want to make it often yeah. coming with concussions so yes i've crashed into cars and all windows uh, they need to yeah all windows uh, so they just need to stay in care for maybe a week uh, you have to keep their flight muscles uh, healthy yeah. so yes. giving them flying practice regularly which is wonderful yeah. uh, there are very few things more rewarding than that yeah uh, but seeing them uh, nurse back to health, seeing them regain their balance, uh, regain yes. uh, their mental fac- faculties. Because when, when the tawny frogmouth hits something solid, it really messes with their 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 balance and their sight and, and all sorts of things. So they really do need to convalesce. And if they can convalesce in a safe environment versus out in the wild where they might get eaten by domestic cats, for instance, which is often what happens to them, then they stand a much, if you allow them to heal, then they go off back into the wild and and do and have a wonderful life in the wild. Whereas if they wouldn't have people like Elliot doing that wildlife carer work, we would lose so many more of these amazing Australian animals. And they are uniquely Australian. Whilst I'm thinking of this subject of Australian animals, I recently watched a news program where they captured a kangaroo jumping down the Florida street or something. What are your thoughts about the keeping of exotic animals in foreign countries? I mean, in the kangaroo case, I probably yeah. wouldn't recommend it. I think mm-hmm. obviously there are some rules, uh, varying degrees of legislation, especially yes. in the US, about what sorts of animals you can keep. Uh, Here in Australia, it's very well regulated. So uh, you Mm. have to be properly licensed. Mm -hmm. You have to uh, say with myself as a carer, I have to get that training. I have to 
I showed my proficiency in being able yes. to rehabilitate these animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, I think pets should be encouraged. Uh, you should definitely yes. be able to keep native animals, animals uh, which might be found in the local area, mm-hmm. even within the country, I think is acceptable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I think the danger is if you're keeping exotics, then obviously if they uh, yes. break free, if they manage yes. to escape, then that can cause major issues. So yeah. there does have to be a certain risk analysis there in terms of what could go yes. wrong and whether the owner might be injured in certain cases as well. Yes. Because if you, you and I both know that um, kangaroos, uh, particularly the big red and greys, they can, those boys, they can be pretty nasty. And um, growing up on a rural property, they, we had some dog fatalities due to those um, big boys protecting their turf. So um, in terms of where you'd like to see Australia go, in managing our unique wildlife. What are some things that you'd like to see that start to happen in Australia? Yeah, well, as I mentioned, there is quite a way to go. I think currently uh, we've got the third most threatened species of any country uh, behind the US, behind Indonesia, uh, numbers one and two. Uh, But I think the major issues to solve are about how we monitor our local animals. So. Mm In recent times, there have been some very major funding cuts to national parks. Uh, There have been some serious uh, drawbacks Mm -hmm. in terms of working conservation. Uh, Bushfires, obviously, an added pressure on this all. Uh, But the flip side of that is there's been a tremendous amount of global solidarity uh, which those bushfires have brought. So I know Mm -hmm. working in animal rescues in uh, the organisations called WIRES, uh, that they've been inundated actually with donations, uh, with yeah. uh, homemade crafts, with pouches yes. Yes. Uh, to keep these animals in. So it's yeah. wonderful, wonderful to see that yeah. happening. Yeah. And I think a major step that needs to be taken is in sensitising the community to yes. what is going on, educating them, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more importantly, connecting them to uh, these issues firsthand. Uh, so Absolutely. the bushfires certainly allowed for that. And as the second step, then, you need mm-hmm. to be able to uh, more effectively conserve these natural places. So I think about 30% of Australia is a protected area in terms mm. of national parks or equivalent, which is quite mm. impressive for a country. Okay. You need to protect the right area. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of Australia is desert, so yes. check that. It's all good. Yeah, but take the desert. Many animals. Yeah. 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 So yeah. it's all about doing it right and being able to measure your success uh, very much. So it's not an easy country to work in by any standards. No, I, I uh, heard that uh, statement before. So I want to digress a little bit now. And um, you're 17 and you're considered a leader in this space. I want to know what are some of your current thoughts, uh, your thoughts around current world leadership and what would you like to see happen? Oh, current world leadership is very, <laughs> very, very mixed. Isn't it just? <laughs> yes, yes. So I think the US could do with some gentle encouragement in that respect. Uh, Australia, equally yes. so. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, there are definitely uh, the good, there's good side and there's bad side. Yes. Uh, the good side is then countries like New Zealand, yeah, uh, just into Arden's done wonderful, wonderful job uh, with the country. I recently saw they've entered into the constitution, into the legal system, a clause uh-huh. uh, that recognises the uh, consciousness of other animals, so that they can think, perceive, feel, 
uh, all of these things, which makes a tremendous I difference. I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. It yeah. makes a real difference in court uh, for this yeah. whole rights of nature dialogue, uh, giving animals more of a say, some better rights, yeah. yes. uh, better representation. Absolutely. And, if we can have more leaders like that, uh, that's the end goal. I know in Switzerland as well, uh, they've got a clause in their constitution, a very similar, mm-hmm. uh, which is that you have to respect the dignity of uh, other animals and plants. Yes. And yes. So, I mean, that one's a tough one uh, to manage. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if we do I'll that, bet. then everything uh, will be a lot, lot better. Uh, they've got some wonderful laws that, to back that up, but yeah. it's never easy to enforce something like that. And I mean, that's the end goal of human nature. If we can yes. uh, show yes. appreciation, compassion, uh, respect yes. for other animals, yeah. Yeah. I think that's what we need. Because at the end of the day, humanity does need to continue on and part of the continua- continuation of humanity is around the food we eat and the environment we live in. But if we start to rethink and redo things in a better way that supports an ecological system that will be better for my grandchildren um that's the way that we need to go so when i feel despair now about the current world leadership i'll just think of you elliot and know that our future is in somewhat of safe hands and in terms of leadership um you for young men of your age do you see yourself as atypical of are you? Do you have friends that share some of your passions and show some of the leadership skills that you have, or for the most part, are they just focused on grade twelve and typical senior teenage ideals? Do you see many other young men like yourself stepping up and taking a leadership in the current world? And if you don't, why don't you think more young men are encouraged to do that? Yeah, uh, so I think it's very much the latter, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it isn't easy uh, to do what I, I do. I have to work very long days. Uh, yes. You have to be very passionate about what you do, I think, is yes. the main part. You have to be very committed, yeah. uh, very idealistic. You have to believe you can make this change in the world and then yes. go out and do it. Uh, but I think uh, the main factor holding uh, other young people back is mm-hmm. the whole framing of the issues. So. Yes. Uh, all of the media, all of the coverage, mm-hmm. all of the mm-hmm. literature about environmental issues is very much from that negative standpoint. Uh, yeah. We hear about everything that's wrong with the world. And of course, yes. there is a great deal uh, which needs fixing. But on the flip side of that, there's also the great successes. Uh, all of the amazing things uh, which we've done in the past 50 years of conservation. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's very much undersung uh, the leaders the heroes in this space don't get that recognition uh, with some notable exceptions so Attenborough, Goodall, uh, some of those names you might have heard uh, yes. but those everyday champions uh, some of the organizations working in the space and uh, mm. they're just not recognized because no. media gets uh, the coverage yes. for the issues whatever's going wrong and people just carry that on so I think we need to work towards this sense of conservation optimism. Uh, We need to uh, very much look on the bright side of global catastrophe. Uh, We need to see all the amazing people working in this space. And that's very much the other thing that drives me, that motivates me in the work I do, Mm -hmm. Uh, being able to talk with 
like-minded, passionate yes. individuals in a dozen countries every day, uh, sharing yes. thoughts, sharing ideals, uh, hearing whatever they're up to, what the situation yeah. might be on their end, uh, their favourite animals, whatever yeah, yeah. it is we happen to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, but being connected to such a global community is something I never would have dreamed of 12 months yeah. ago when I started yeah. Human Nature Projects. Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I first founded the charity, I remember for the first maybe two months, uh-huh. I was very much under the pump, uh, working yes. very long hours as always, as trying to set And up. I have to remind the listeners that Elliot is also doing his last year of schooling, which is the toughest year, and we have COVID, and he's running this international uh, business. So, like, I just think that you are amazing, Elliot, and I'm sure people tell you that every day, but I just... For someone so young to show such leadership, it's just a glorious breath of fresh air. And I am just feeling so privileged that I get to speak to you on radio and tell other people about the amazing work that you're doing. And I know um, I had to smile when I was looking on your um, website the other day and you've got a wonderful little uh, test yourself section in the right-hand corner of your website. And I encourage our listeners jump onto Elliot's website, which is elliotconnor.com, and it's got fabulous information about everything that Elliot does and all his various passions and um, projects, which I'm going to try and get back to in the last five minutes of the program, but jump onto Elliot's site. It's elliotconnor.com, and you will be amazed at what's on there and the information you can glean from this wonderful young man. So before we run out of time, I want to quickly talk about some of the projects that you have underway. Um, at the moment yeah a lot I think I know answer. <laughs> uh, plenty on the plate uh, but as you mentioned in the introduction uh, very much moving into this storytelling field so yes. uh, filmmaking yes. of all sorts podcasting uh, wrote my first book uh, all sorts of things and When's the very book much trying out, to <laughs> uh, it's coming out later this year Yep. So I haven't confirmed a date yet, but yep. that's the idea. And what's it going to be called? It's called Human Nature. It's called Human so Nature as well. All yep. about this worldview, the yes. past, present, future of our relationship yes. with nature. Really, really yes. interesting subject. Yes, fascinating. And some of the other projects you've got underway, so that's the book um, and specifically some of the things that are really exciting you about what you've got planned. Yeah, I mean, I've been really enjoying the podcasting journey. Yeah. I've just released episode four of that yes. show again. And that's Human on Nature. your website. Yes, you can find it there. And, and it's, fabulous yeah, it's been listeners. wonderful for me. I've been very privileged to interview some fascinating guests on the show. Yes. So I had a Belgian astronaut on for episode two. Oh, I just wow. had an American comedian on, which yes. was a hilarious conversation. Yeah. talking about birds of paradise and yes it's a really simple format so uh, yeah. talking with the guest about their life story what yes. they do uh, but then linking that to a favorite animal of theirs yes and yes i think that's something everyone can resonate with everyone Absolutely. has a creature uh, they appreciate they adore yep. uh, but then finishing off with about 10 trivia questions so like the oh, quiz on my website yes. Uh, yes. things like that uh, yeah. really fun interesting engaging 
Uh, so simplifying it all and making sure it's positive, inspiring uh, the whole messaging. And I think that really draws people in. So that's Absolutely. been a wonderful journey for me. And before we run out of time, what is your favourite animal, by the way? Well, I think that changes quite regularly, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> it's like choosing a favourite child. It's, yes, it's not yes. easy uh, when yes. I've managed to work with so many, to connect with so many. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the one I keep on coming back to is the elephant. Uh, <gasps> I think they are extraordinary creatures. Yes. Uh, just this January, I was doing some uh, wildlife filmmaking. So before <laughs> the whole COVID shenanigans and yes. such, I managed to spend six weeks in South Africa uh-huh. uh, filming with a company called Wild Earth TV. Yes. And they stream uh, live safaris twice a day for three hours each. Oh, wow. Uh, so wonderful, wonderful chance. Yeah, so viewers can uh, connect in. It's free service from across the world to uh, be yes. part of this adventure. Yes. It's like your yes. dream holiday. Uh, yes. From your connected. home office. Yeah, streamed online. Uh, so, yeah, I managed to be on back of one of those vehicles twice a day, three hours a day, and filming whatever we came across, which was lots of elephants. <laughs> so, managing to witness their extraordinary families, their extraordinary communities. Uh, yeah. They have some of the most incredible social structures. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, very human. If yes. You yes. couldn't yes. apply such a term to... And elephants are incredibly like intelligent that. as well, aren't they? Oh, certainly. Uh, definitely one of the most intelligent creatures of all. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Elliot, we are down to one minute left. And I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. And uh, we are actually going live again at 12 midday on bbsradio.com with Elliot when I'll have some more conversation about the amazing work that we do. But for listeners today, thank you so much, Elliot. Please jump on to Elliot's website, Elliot Connor, E-L-L-I-O-T Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R.com and find out about the projects and the work that this young man is doing. It's a privilege to talk with you today and introduce you to the listeners, um, predominantly out of the West Coast of America and across Australia and the world. And thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again at 12 midday, Elliot. And so that's the show for this week. Join us again same time next week. The podcast of Elliot's show will be available later in the week and if you want to find it, it will be on RadioTony.com. Thank you so much, Elliot. I'll talk to you again soon. Over to you, Rebel. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio 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 Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom.